welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. How many guys love you some Jesus today? Yeah? Woo! Man, I'm like really, really excited. Um, how many of you guys ever grew up going to a revival? 70s, 80s, 90s, kind of early 2000s when revivals were a lot more. How many of you guys ever grew up going to a revival? Like in a tent, right? Like in a tent, okay, few hands. Back in the day, revivals, there was just kind of this big thing. They were all over the place. You can still go down south and see them a lot, but they're kind of becoming less and less and less. But here's the thing, I remember growing up as a pastor's kid, and my dad, he had a church that he pastored, but he was also an evangelist. So he got calls to do revivals all over, mostly Kansas, sometimes Nebraska. And um, I had this picture of what revivals were. Um, It was a tent or a building, and they were anywhere from two days, three days, five days, seven days, and they slapped some fancy name, and it was the revival in town. And usually what it meant was some kind of loud pastor would come and try to stir the hearts of people, right? And this is what the idea of revival was. And sometimes the Spirit of God would break out, and you would see awesome things happen, and people would come down to the altar, and lives would change, and it was awesome. But many times the gathering was just simply a night or two or five or more, and we would just slap the name revival on it. And I remember going as a kid, this was my thought. And what I always thought about revivals is, oh no, here comes another revival that dad has to do. And I'll tell you why. Because if dad was going to do a revival, somehow me and my two brothers became the Wallace Trio and we had to sing, okay? And I'm just going to tell you right now, that was uncool in those days. It was, so we had to sing, mom played the piano, and it was like we did our, no, we never danced. I'm just, but we, we did our thing and we would sing or whatever. And so my idea of revival is like, okay, let's hurry up, get this over with so that we can mess around in this church that we just found, okay? And so this was my idea of what revivals were. It was just some gathering uh, and it wasn't on Sunday morning. Maybe it was Sunday night through the week, whatever. That was my idea of what revivals were. And, and I remember as I kind of matured and grew and began to understand a revival has nothing to do with a place or a tent or a night of the week. A revival is something we're asking God to do. Amen, church? And as I begin to grow and understand in my heart what is truly a revival, I begin to really press into this idea that maybe we missed the mark when we threw a name on a seven-day event or five-day event, threw up a tent and said, let's just have revival. Like we're trying to create something. I'm wondering if maybe we missed it when we're like, hey, let's pay somebody to come in and try to lead us into a revival. When at the end of the day, the revival is in each one of our hearts. Amen. So recently, my heart has been stirred. In fact, I really wasn't planning on preaching on this this week until about Tuesday. And my heart began to get stirred in this idea of, I believe that God wants to have another great awakening. I believe that God is ready to spring forth another revival. I've been watching people posting. I've been watching things online. I've been reading. People are getting stirred for this thing right now. There's just a stirring in people's hearts going, man, something's coming, something's coming, something's coming. And, and this one particular person posted something. And, man, she was just, it was awesome. She put all these scripture verses. God was stirring her heart. And she got me charged. And I was like, yes. I said, great awakening, global awakening. God's going to do something. Just believe it. And Everybody's like, yeah, it's awesome, awesome, awesome. And then there was a post that came up, and it's fine, but this person decided that they want to say, actually, um, not to be the bearer of bad news, but the trend is showing that people are walking away. Put a nice little graph up there so that everybody could see it, right? 
And the point that they're trying to make is that you guys are saying that revival's coming, but they were trying to say that that's actually not what data's showing. In fact, data's showing the exact opposite, that revival's not coming, but a great falling away, right? And this person was just like, not to burst your bubble, but here it is. That just like, ugh, some, something lit up inside of me. And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> right? But the whole point was that she's putting these things, she's writing these things of what God wants to do. This person's saying, actually, the trend is showing something different. And my heart was stirred to go, that's why we're going to have revival. <laughs> if it was all put together and it was all running smoothly, we wouldn't need it. We need an awakening because people are asleep right now. The point that they were trying to make to disprove what this person was saying is the exact point that they were trying to make that this person's saying God's about to shift something, move in some way. I share that because, man, over the last couple of weeks, as I said, I wasn't planning on preaching this. My heart just begins to get stirred from this. Start reading on these revival books. Start listening to these podcasts on revival. And let me just tell you, you want to get jacked up? Start reading about the revivals of old. Start reading about what God did. Start going, man, this is what happened. Oh, my. These are testimonies of what happened. And all of a sudden, your heart will begin to get stirred for more of him. So Martin Lloyd-Jones, kind of an old revivalist, a, a guy who wrote some books out there, he says this, there is, there is no more important subject of the Christian church at this present hour than this very question of the need of revival. He says it is second to none. That this should be what the church is talking about today. We've read of these movements. We've read of these movements that now seem like they're a distant memory. You guys remember the Great Awakening? Remember the Second Great Awakening? You remember this revival that happened 15 years ago? Remember that revival when parts were stirred and things happened? And we're talking about things that have happened 15, 10, maybe 100, 120 years ago. And all of a sudden we're living and we're clinging on these past revival and awakening, awakening experiences. And I just believe that God's saying, you're clinging to past experiences and not seeing the new ones that are about to come. Huh? Listen, listen to what James Burns says. This trend of, 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 of people moving away from, from God. We know that. It's just a trend. I mean, the person that put the graph was right. There's a trend of moving away from God. But here's what he likens it to. James Burns says, it's like a wave. It's like a wave. Yes, we see the receding wave that's going back out to sea. But he says, if you think about a wave and you think about it in the terms of revival, that wave is simply gathering in power and in volume that when it returns again, it'll be bigger and rushing further than it's ever come before. I believe we're in such a time as this. It may look like things are receding back, but that wave is building in volume and it's building in energy and it's building in power and it's about to be released. That's why my heart burns today. Reading these books like Revival Rising on all the revivals of the past, listening to these pastors, guys in Upper Room, man, I've listened to these Upper Room sermons like crazy of these revival moments that we need to have. And all of a sudden you get to a place where we, we talked about this before, but there's that tipping point moment. Back in February, I think it was in February, I, I preached a message and in, in, in studying something Chris Vallotton ha had wrote about where he says in life we have these tipping point moments where something in this moment has to give. It's a tipping point moment. Something has to give. Someone has to act. Something in life has to shift. We can't have it be the same way. Something has to change. And so he talks about these tipping point moments, and he gave an example, and so I use this example 
in February of Rosa Parks in one of the most horrendous times in U.S. history. Segregation was happening in Rosa Parks. After a long day of work, she shows up at a bus stop. And she's tired and she's worn out. And I don't think that she thought this was ever going to be her day. I don't think she ever thought this was going to be her tipping point moment. She shows up at a bus stop. She climbs on the bus, looks to the back and says, it's too far. I'm going to sit right here in the front. And so something in American history at that time, which is a horrendous thing that was happening, was that they could not, African Americans could not sit at the front of the bus. So she was told, go to the back. And this was her moment. She said, I will not move. Arrest me, kick me off, try to drag my body off of this thing, but I will not go to the back of the bus. It was her moment. It was a tipping point. She knew it in that moment. I don't think that she got up in her journal and said, today I'm going to screw up and mess things. I'm going I'm I'm to change everything. I'm going to shift everything. I'm going to tip society. She didn't write that in her journal. She got off of a long day, working hard, at a bus stop, got on the bus and sat down and said, I am tired and you're not moving me. And something happened in that moment where a young man named Martin Luther King Jr. watches this thing and his heart is stirred in a tipping point movement and he begins to lead one of the greatest movements in American history, the Civil Rights Movement. Because a woman says, I'm not going to move, Martin Luther King Jr. says, I'm stirred now. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about the revivals yet to come. We're talking about these moments where you and I are looking around and we're saying, we've reached it. We've reached our tipping point moment in America right now. We've reached it in this moment. We cannot, church, listen to me, we cannot think that it's somebody else's job to do it. We cannot think that it's somebody else's job to do it. We're not going to pay pastors to go put tents up to try to stir the hearts of people when the heart of Jesus is in us. There's a guy by the name of Sean Foyt. Maybe you guys have heard of him. He comes out of Bethel. All of a sudden, all this chaos in 2020, Sean begins to grab his worship guys, and they're going to Seattle. They're going to Portland. Maybe you've read the stories about him. They're in California, and they're having these worship times on the beaches, and they're having these worship times in Seattle and Portland where there's rioters going on over here. Just a mile down the road, they're having these worship encounters. Thousands of people are showing up in these moments Thousands of people are showing up to worship the Lord while riots and protests are going on. The protesters recently, they saw, heard the worship going on, they come over, and there's actually a cell phone video of this where the rioters come in, begin to try to break the equipment, the sound, they break the drums, break some microphones, and something happens. One of the protesters is trying to video the whole thing, and the more that they break their equipment, he goes, it's crazy the louder these people are getting. The praise is rising the more we break their stuff. And he uses a lot of explicatives, all right? He's like, this is blankety-blank crazy, man. The more we break their blankety-blank stuff, the louder these people get. They're crazy. Something happened. Sean and his team says, we don't care. We're not waiting for somebody else to do it. We're doing it. This is our moment. This is our revival moment. Church, let me just say something. I'm watching this and I'm reading about these things that are happening all over. And I'm going, what about us? What about you? Like, when do we come to this place and say, what about us? What about me? The same thing that he stirred. Are we saying, hey, Sean, you got to come to Kansas to stir our hearts or are our hearts stirred by Jesus? So something's got to begin to break free and change. And look, this is scripture. This is the whole of scripture right here. We've talked about this in Ezekiel so many times. And I just want to come back. I want to recapture this. God is looking for a church that believes him. <laughs> 
He's looking for people that believe him, not believe things about him, not believe ideas about him, not believe something that somebody told. I'm talking about they've experienced and tasted and seen that the Lord is good and their hearts are stirred. And God says in Ezekiel 22:30, this is what I'm looking for. And look what he says. I searched for a man among them to repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on, my, on behalf of the land so that I should not destroy it. But I found what? Oh, I heard a kid, but I found what? But I found no one. I, I searched for a man, I searched for anybody that would stand in the gap, but I found no one. Listen to me, church. If you hope in this process right now that we're in that somehow God is going to do it alone, we do not know what revival is. It's not that God isn't powerful enough to do it alone. It's not that God couldn't change it in an instant alone. But the way that God has always used his power is what he said in the book of Acts chapter 2. And you will receive power. And you will receive power. And you will receive power. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will testify and you will be my witnesses. We know this about scripture. The power is from God. The means in which he puts his power on display is from you and I. There's a partnership that needs to happen in revival. And too many times we're sitting back going, Lord, we're just, you do your thing. And he's going, I am doing my thing. Get up. Lord, we're going to pray this thing in. We're going to pray this thing in. He goes, all right, you've prayed it in. Now get up. We're going to say, Lord, what do you want to do? Lord, you need to act. And he says, I did act. I gave you the Holy Spirit. And we're sitting back and we're waiting for God to move. And God's sitting back waiting for us to move. Through him and in him and for him. Amen. I like how the upper room puts it. Listen to Michael Miller on this. He puts it in three ways. He said, here's the problem. When you hit a Psalms 2 crisis, I'll talk about that here in a minute. When you hit a Psalms 2 crisis, it leads to a Joel 2 response with an Acts 2 outpouring. A Psalms 2 crisis, Joel 2 response, an Acts 2 outpouring. Let me tell you what he means by that. Let me just walk through that for a minute. In Psalm 2, we see this rebellion of people towards God. And we see that they're raging against the leadership of Jesus. They do not want Jesus. They want to throw off the shackles of what they think that God is doing. And in Psalm 2, the psalmist says, Watch, God's, God's talking. He says, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. Saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven, I love this, laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and he terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, and he said, you are my son. Today I've become your father. So this is God telling Jesus what his inheritance is going to be. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. So there's this tension at the start of Psalms 2. There's a crisis that's happening at the Psalms, start of Psalms 2. And then there's a response. It's the Joel 2 response. Joel 2, 12. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your heart. I like this guy. Rend your heart. Listen to what he says. Rend your heart, not your 
garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and passionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and who relents from sending calamity. Let me tell you why that's important for a minute. Because in the Old Testament, if they sinned against God, they would rip their clothes, and we talked about this, they would throw ashes on their head. That was their way of showing that they were remorseful for what they did. And God's saying, I'm sick and tired of you ripping your clothes. I want you to rip your heart. Some of you are like, praise the Lord, I just bought this outfit, right? Stop ripping your clothes and doing this outward thing, trying to stop doing this outward thing to show you're remorseful and start doing an inward thing to show that you know that Jesus is king over your life. L listen to this. We've got this crisis. We've got this response. And then he's like, I know you can't do it on your own, so we've got this outpouring. Acts chapter 2, here's the outpouring. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from? Where? Where did it come from? So it didn't come from a man-made thing. The blowing of, the, of a violent wind came in and it came from heaven to show that this isn't something man's going to conjure up in their own ability. This isn't something man's going to do in their own strength. We're not going to be good enough to do this in our own strength. But when heaven opens up and releases, then the power of God falls upon them. And it says all the people that were sitting in their house were filled with tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were all, somebody say all, filled with the Holy Spirit. About 120 in number. There's a moment where heaven opens up and the Spirit of God comes down and fills the house. And so you've got a crisis. I'm just going to throw this out there. Would you all say that 2020 may be a bit of a crisis situation? Okay, if not, invite me over to your house. I want to see what this, you know. A little bit of a crisis situation. we got a Psalm 2 thing happening right now. A little bit of a crisis situation. Our response is to rend your hearts. Rend your your hearts, return to him with all your hearts. And the outpouring is that heaven's about to open. Revival is when God steps down and his leadership is seen on earth. Listen, God steps down and his leadership is seen on earth and nations and hearts are shifted in a moment. That's revival. Revival is not about throwing a tent up and doing a seven day event. Revival is not about trying to hire some pastor to come in and preach a profound message. Revival is when God shows up and uses ordinary, uneducated people to present the gospel. When God uses uneducated, ordinary people to love on people. Revival. No one had to go to the upper room to experience revival. Let me tell you something about this. When they left the upper room, the disciples didn't say, hey, everybody, come on. You, we'll, we'll start a train. You guys come through this, this place that we call the upper room. You're going to experience revival. Revival went to the people. Here's what I want you to hear today, church. Revival then, and I'm so stirred by this. Revival starts in our hearts. We know this. We've talked about this. Revival starts in our hearts. Rend your hearts. It's not an event. It's not a rally. It's not a seven, five, three day event. It's not, it starts in our hearts. And here's what Paul says revival is in his mindset. In Ephesians 3, 16 through 17, Paul says this. He's praying for the Ephesian church. He says, I pray that out of all the glorious riches, I pray that out of all of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with, everybody say power. You, you were on it. Power through his spirit in your inner being, this is important, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power 
together with all of God's holy people, power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Church, listen to this. Behind all great revivals or awakenings is a believer that's experiencing a heart revival. A guy by the name of C.F. Bardley says this. The great revivals of history have all been the result of a new personal devotion to Jesus Christ. Deeper intimacy, deeper in his glorious experience of spending time with him. When you want to see a national or a global awakening, the spirit first is moving in you through an inner revival. Man, I, I feel like all these messages kind of, I just threw down a ton of random notes today. It's like all these messages that we've been preaching over the last two months are just kind of coming together. I know we've said this numerous times. I want to say it again because I'm so passionate about this. We lead from where we've been. We lead from where we've been. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If you came up to me today, I said, Aaron, I want you to take me skydiving, okay? And I'm like, cool, man. I'm, I'm told I'll take you skydiving. Let's just rent a plane. I'll fly it. We're good. And you go, have you ever flown a plane? I'm like, no, we'll figure it out, right? Have you ever skydived? Not a chance. I figure we both jump. So there's a cord somewhere. I know you pull it. You, you'd go, I'm not going skydiving with you. You've never done it before. Now, same thing. If you came up to me and said, you ever flown? 10,000 times, man. I know exactly what I'm doing. You ever skydived? 10,000 times. I've had 10,000 jumps out of a plane. I know exactly. I know everything safety-wise. Most of you would sign up. There's still a handful of you who say, no way, I'm not jumping out of a plane. Amen? <laughs> we lead from where we've been. People will follow you from where you've been. Out of the overflow of where we've been is what we're leading people out of. And so we're saying we want people to experience revival and an awakening in their hearts. And they're saying, I don't even know that you've experienced revival. I'm saying I want people to experience a revival, and the Lord is saying, have you experienced a revival, Aaron? Are you still hanging on with revivals of the past? And my heart is stirred in this so much that I've thought about what this looks like in everyday language. Recently, I saw this hashtag going around. I love it. It's hashtag save, uh, save the children. You guys seen that? Love it, behind it, passionate about it. Let's expose darkness, let light expose darkness. Believe that we need to stop sexualizing children. We need to stop allowing all of this stuff with children to be out there. I believe so much in this. I believe we need to stop this, this human trafficking, sex trafficking. And this person's writing this. Here's the hashtag, save the children. And they said this. And they said, I tell you what, this one post I saw said, I believe in this. Save the children, yes. You want to help stop sex trafficking? Stop watching porn. Church. Nobody commented on his post. <laughs> he says, you want to stop it? Then stop it first in your own life. You got to lead people from where you're at, right? You struggling through it? Get it. It's addiction? Get it. Get an accountability partner. Work through it. And know that we can't hashtag all these things and say, let's do this. When we know in our own life that we need to work on ourselves. If I want to see revival, I need to have a personal revival first. So how do we get revival? How do we get revival? Paul says really three, four things in Ephesians chapter 3. First thing that he says is there's got to be this fire that's burning inside of us. Makes sense. I mean, just uh, makes sense. Inside us, there's this fire. I want to strengthen you with power 
through his spirit in your inner being. Do you know that Jesus spends so much time in the New Testament talking to Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders going, you work so hard on keeping the outside of your cup clean, it's the inside of your cup that I care the most about. You look the part on the outside, but on the inside, your cup is not clean. There's something so powerful about this idea that there's a fire burn with, burning within me, not that somebody else has to stoke, but Jesus himself is stoking inside of my life. Psalm 73, 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Number two, after this fire is burning inside of me, I've got to dwell rightly. Listen, I've got to allow God, Jesus, to dwell rightly inside of me. That Christ may, Paul prays this that in Ephesians 3, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Listen to this, church. The concern isn't whether Christ is dwelling in your hearts. God is not a liar. You invite Jesus in. Your heart, your life becomes a temple for the living God. Jesus is inside of you. The concern is not whether he's dwelling there. The concern is how does he dwell there? Spiritual dullness, spiritual apathy in our life, spiritual laziness in our life is that Jesus no longer dwells supremely on the throne because everything else is vying for that throne. Sin, bitterness, other interests, hurts, offenses, all of those things will vie for the throne of Jesus. I was listening to a, a comment on that. It says, don't settle for a hoarder's heart. I'll say that again. Don't settle for a hoarder's heart. Don't stuff your heart so full of stuff that you're hoarding things in your heart to where Jesus gets to throne on a daily basis. Number three, inside fire, let Jesus dwell rightly. Number three, that you would grasp his love. Grasp his love. Here's what he says, that you may have power. Listen to what he prays, that you may have power to grasp the love of Christ, how high, how deep, how wide is the love of Christ for you. He literally says that you may have power to do it because when we try to imagine the love of Jesus, we put boundaries on it. When we try to imagine the love of Jesus, we go, nope, screwed up, he doesn't love me today. When we try to imagine the love of Jesus, it's based on conditions. When we try to imagine how much God loves us, we will always, always fall short. So we need the power of God to grasp the love of Jesus for us. Amen, church. In historic revivals, when people come to the love of Jesus, they start choosing new ways and willingnesses to obey the Lord no matter what the cost. When somebody comes in and they're so filled with Jesus and they grasp his love, you don't have to tell them to read their Bible. Like, I want to read the Bible. I don't know where to start. When somebody comes into the love of Jesus, you don't have to tell them to pray. There's something in their heart that longs for him. When somebody comes into Jesus and they grasp the love of Christ in their life, you're not having to tell them, you know what, you should probably not go get trashed every other night. They realize in their life that that's no longer fulfilling because he's fulfilling, amen? There's personal revival that's happening. And it's not because a pastor told you. It's because the Holy Spirit is inside of you, living and breathing and working it out in your life. This is why the Moravians, we've talked about them numerous times, the Moravians... 100-year prayer movement, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. For 100 years, they prayed. It produced one of the largest missional outpourings ever in recorded history. 
Each revival that comes usually has something that comes from it, whether that's gifts that came in, missional movements, worship hearts, whatever it is. This particular one had this missional outpouring. These young Moravians were coming into Christ. Their hearts were so stirred for revival. They were having personal experiences with Jesus that they were selling themselves to slave ships so that they could go to the far reaches of the world. There's no clipboard on a Sunday morning that says, who wants to sign up for that? That has to be an experience. You can't preach that. You can't teach that. You've got to experience his love for that. Oh, man, lots of notes. Don't even know where we're going. Let's just go on this journey real quick. So, so how does this work itself out? Jesus in John 14, 15, 16 Read those chapters, John 14, 15, 16. This is the upper room discourse. This is where Jesus is laying out, final hours. Here's what my life is gonna look like. Here's what it's gonna look like for you. It's gonna get rough. It's gonna get rough, John 14, 15, 16. It's gonna look really, really rough. You're gonna see some things coming. Your heart will have sorrow. Your heart will grieve. He literally says this over and over and over in, in, in 14, 1, friends, John 14, 1. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not lose heart. You believe in God, believe also in me. Then he'll begin to paint this picture through 14, 15, and 16. Things are going to get rough. There's going to be some difficult times that you're going to see in this thing. Says it over and over and over. And then he gets to the pinnacle in John chapter 16, 6, where Jesus has laid down all this hard stuff. And in verse 6, he says, you are filled with grief and sorrow because I've said these things. So he's telling us, do not let your hearts be sorrowful. Do not let your hearts be in grief. Your heart is in grief because I'm telling you these things. I'm like... Okay, you said not to do it, but then you're telling us horrendous stuff. And he says, don't lose heart because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. They leave the upper room. They follow him to the garden. And in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is getting ready to get on his knees and pray to the Father and get arrested that night. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 39, it says, on reaching that place, Jesus says, pray that you will not fall into temptation. What kind of temptation are they going to fall into? They're praying. And I believe that the temptation that their heart is going to fall into is to lose heart. I believe that when Jesus says, do not fall into temptation, it's the temptation to lose heart. It's the temptation to be sorrowful. It's the temptation to have grief in our heart with what's about to happen. And so because that temptation came, they fell asleep. Now in John 16, 21, Jesus had already told them, you're going to grieve, but your grief will turn to, everybody say joy. Joy. And then at the very end of John 16 and verse 22, he says, I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. There's something going to ha happen in a personal revival in your life that's, that no matter what comes, no one's going to be able to take your joy from you. They don't understand what he's saying right now, but they're about to. Because a shift comes in John chapter 20, verse 18. I'm going fast. Jesus has died, he's been crucified, he's risen from the grave, the women have rushed to the tomb, Martha has an encounter with Jesus, and she says these words, I have seen the Lord. Something happened to the grief in her heart, the sorrow in her heart, where now she has seen the Lord. Picking up in verse 19, on that evening of the first day, the disciples were locked in an upper room for fear. They locked the doors out of fear. They hid in fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus walks through the door. 
No, no, no. He didn't open it. He walked through the door. Jesus walks through the door and he says, peace be with you. And he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed, filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Something happened in that moment. In that moment, their hearts of grief and sorrow and temptation and sin, where they had fallen asleep, their hearts were awoken, revived in Jesus. I have seen the Lord. He shows himself to, breathes on them the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, revival that would last now forever came upon them. They don't have to throw up a tent now. They don't have to wait for revival. They don't have to say, God, when is the next great awakening that you're going to do? He's going, when is the next great awakening that you're going to do in my power? Amen. I could go, I could go on and on with, man, here's the deal. There's a cool story I want to have Joe Abel. Joe Abel, you want to come up here for a minute? What does this look like in a practical way? Here's what it looks like in a practical way. You don't have to be well-educated. You don't have to be somebody who stands up and preaches every day. You don't have to be worship leaders. You just simply have to have a personal revival in your heart. And when you have that personal revival in your heart, burning inside, you got a fire burning inside of you, Christ is dwelling supremely in, in your life, you're grasping the love of God, when that happens, revival happens. Joe Abel, personal revival in his life happening, doesn't mean perfect, personal revival begins to happen and because of that, revival breaks out between him and one couple and he's going to fill in the story for you. Morning, Reliance. My name is Joel Abel Sacedo. Um, if you don't know me, I've been in Kidsman for a while and been in Reliance for a while. Um, I've been lucky enough, fortunate enough to open a nutrition club in Sand Creek. We serve healthy shakes, healthy teas. Um, it's been three months since we opened. About two months ago, I had a lady walk in. You could tell something was off. She just looking around, antsy. I was helping another customer, a couple of the customers on the other side, and I said, hang on. She's like, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll be right back. And I said, just hang on, I'll be right with you. I finished up, and I said, hey, how are you? She says, I'm good. I said, uh, you know, welcome to Sand Creek. I can tell it's your first time in. Can I help you out? Let me see what's, get something going for you. And she says, yeah, yeah, I, I need something with energy. She says, it's actually not for me. It's for my husband. I said, is, you want to wait for him? We'll go through everything. She's like, well, he's not going to be here today. And I said, okay. I said, what's he like? I was like, you know, we have all the flavors, cherry, strawberry, watermelon. She says, he loves peaches. I said, all right, peaches. We've got a great tea that has peach in it. He's going to love it. We start talking. I start making her stuff, and she wants the shakes also, so I get that ready. And I said, so how's your day? And she says, so it's either a good sigh or it's, it's not a good sigh. And I said, so with that, I said, um, so what's going on? And she says, well, my husband, he has cancer. He's had cancer for two years, and it's terminal. We went in for treatment today and he couldn't get treatment because they found spots on his liver. So I'm trying to do something for him that might help him out today. I said, oh, well, you're in the right spot. We're going to give him some energy. We're going to give him a shake, get some nutrition. He's going to love it, I promise. She says, thank you. And I get her stuff ready. We start walking towards the register and she's, I said, uh, she reaches for her purse. I said, you know what? My dad just battled cancer and he won. So 
today you're shaking your tea. It's going to be on me. You don't worry about it. You just take these home. Come back and let me know if he, he liked it. And at that moment, she broke. She says, I haven't cried. So I run around the bar and I give her a hug. And she, she just lets go. And she says, thank you. And I said, you know what? I have a Sand Creek prayer list and it's on my phone. And I reach out, grab my phone. And I said, what's your husband's name? She said, his name is Royce. I said, what's your name? And she says, Bonnie. So I type it in so she can see me type it all in. I said, well, you're on my prayer list. Just let me know if he enjoys the shaking the tea. Fast forward 24 hours. I'm in the club behind the bar. This guy walks in and he says, young man. And I said, yes, sir. And he says, were you here yesterday? I said, yes, I was. He said, did you speak to a lady about this high? I said, probably. I spoke to a lot of women about this high. He said, you probably spoke to my Bonnie Jean. I did speak to a lady named Bonnie. He says, well, I'm Royce. I said, well, nice to meet you, Royce. He says, and I want to shake your hand. And I said, well, I, I don't really need to shake your hand. I would walk around the bar and I give him a hug. And he said, uh, you changed my life, our life yesterday. He said, sir, he said, my Bonnie Jean, she's, she's had her problems with God. She's struggled with God. She's fought with God. She's not a really big believer she came home yesterday with these two drinks in her hand. She puts them on the table and she loses it like I've never seen her lose it before. And he says, um, <laughs> what's wrong? And he says, she looks at me and says, I seen God today and he's in Newton. And explains what happens. And he says, I know I'm going to die. Yesterday, Bonnie came home with love in her heart, and I know she's going to be with me when she passes because you shared just a little bit of life with her. And I said, well, awesome. That's, you know, that's great. That's great. Yeah, for sure. There's a little bit of a twist. Aaron texted me on Tuesday this last week. Royce has come in about once a week every other week and get his PhD. He walked in Wednesday and he has an envelope in his hand and he says, I got something to show you, young man. I said, all right. So he pulls out this envelope and I'm going to read to you <laughs> what this little envelope said. It's from the clinic. The prior mass, the left upper lobe, can no longer be seen. I run around the bar and I give him this hug and I bet you we held each other for probably five to ten minutes with tears um, this guy's got a great attitude of life we come, we come in we sit there and we talk just, just like that about cars about schools, about whatever. And, you know, I work at a nutrition club and we serve shakes and teas, but I got to meet a guy like Royce who changed my life just because he came in and his wife came in. And, man, it's, it's awesome. So that's about it. Amen, brother. Thank you.
Here's what we know. We know that seeds of revival are blowing. And those seeds of revival that are blowing are these personal encounters with God where everybody that we meet gets to experience the love of what's birthed in our own heart. Here's a man who encounters, or his wife encounters Joe Abel, has this moment of seeing God in Newton. I love that. <laughs> seeing God in Newton comes to this relationship with the Father. And I'm gonna tell you, what follows revival is a lot of amazing supernatural things, amen? I believe that revival brings healing. I believe that revival brings restoration. I believe that the blind can see according to my Bible, amen? I believe that the lame can walk. I believe that cancer can be healed. I believe that mental things that are going on, anxiety, depression, can be redeemed in Jesus' name, amen? And so here's what I wanna do, I wanna just stand up. I wanna pray for revival over you, but Bree, can I borrow you? I'm gonna have Bree pray this. She actually texted last night and said, I really wanna pray over people's dream life because I believe that God is stirring some dreams and visions. And you can do that if you want to, but I believe that right now, whatever the Lord is stirring in your heart, I want to experience God in a new and fresh encounter where there's an awakening happening in the body of Christ. Will you pray that over us before we leave today? Yeah, so if you would raise your hand right now, if you want to receive that. Specifically, the Lord showed me a dream life. I want to pray over people who are having a really hard time sleeping, Maybe you're even having tormenting dreams right now. I feel like the Lord's gonna bring healing this morning. We're gonna see a lot more of what Joe Abel just experienced because he's just doing what the Lord asked him to do and people are experiencing an Abba Father because of it. So it's, it's nothing too difficult for you. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the word my brother gave this morning. God, that there would be revival in our hearts today. Jesus, that we would experience things like Joe Abel's experiencing in his workplace, that we would not be fearful, that we, we would not stay silent, that we would not be quiet, God, but that we would speak up when we need to. We would stand strong and be firm in the things of heaven. We would speak truth and love, God, and we would know who you are. We would call you by name because our shepherd knows us and we know who our shepherd is. So, Father, I just pray right now in this house that we would experience revival, starting with us, starting with me, starting right now. Jesus, because we can't take people where we haven't already been. And so, Jesus, I just pray right now for our church to give you their best hour. I pray right now for each and every person raising their hand that they would give you, Papa, their best hour of the day, that you would wake them up in the heat of the night, and they would know that it's you waking them up. Jesus, I pray right now that there would be a song on our lips and a prayer in our heart, God, in an encounter with your Holy Spirit, because you are real and you are doing big things right now in this season. This is a beautiful, wonderful time to be alive. God, let us not miss the moment of you. Let us not miss the moment of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Let's sing this together, church, from the deepest places. We sing highest praises. Let's do it. Here we go. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.